Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you have experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pacello. I'm your host, growth evangelist, founder of Growth Through Grief, as well as being a fellow widower, having lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, some five years ago. Today, I have a really special guest. His name is Tim Ohai. He's of Kupu Solutions. He's a strategic effectiveness expert and coach, and that's how our paths originally crossed in the business world. Uh, but he is also, as I came to know, a fellow widower, having lost his wife, Diana, in uh, 2020. Uh, he's now a single father of two. He's got a son, 22, and a daughter, 20. Tim, almost the same age as my two. Um, Tim is also a man of strong faith and purpose, along with having an educational background in behavioral science and also in psychology. So we'll have plenty to talk about with Tim today. We're here to learn about Tim's journey from grief to growth, his own journey in that, and tap his experiences and expertise, expertise for insights and inspiration. Tim, welcome. Hey, aloha. Thank you very much. All right. I want to know how the story began with you and Diana, if you'll take us back a number of years. Yeah, well, so you got to go back to the 90s. Um, so technically, we met in the 80s. We met um, my freshman year of college was her sophomore year of college, and we overlapped for a semester, and then she left the school. So I know her brother and her cousin, and 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 we have a lot of similar friends back then, but she, we didn't really know each other. And so fast mm -hmm. forward, um, I'm I'm originally from Hawaii. That's why I said aloha. I'm originally from Kona, Hawaii, and um, she wound up moving to Kona years later. And uh, we had some good mutual friends who were like, "You guys need to meet." I'm like, "Oh no, no that's cool, thanks." Yeah. And because I've never been a big fan of like people being pushed together and all that, and. Uh, she was getting the same kind of pressure from, from, from not only our, our friends, but we were both teachers. So I was teaching elementary school and she was teaching preschool mm -hmm. and the families from the same, you know, had their, they had their kids in both schools were like trying to say, Hey, go, you should meet each other and you would be a great fit. We're like, well, you know, thank you. And then it turned into, no, no, you guys should really meet. You guys could like, oh, shush. And then they're like, so I remember one person just said, no, this is like marriage quality. I'm like, whoa, whoa, back off. So we actually, we met, right. And then we didn't, we just kind of, there was, and she was not interested. And so it was actually, um, we were, uh, I, I used to run, um, I was one of the uh, main folks doing security for the Ironman in Kona. Okay. And um, she had volunteered one year and was on the finish line security team. So I'm, you know, it's late at night. It's a 24-hour shift. You're there, you know, the night before, making sure the race gets kicked off and running everything. And you're at that point at, at night, you're you're waiting for midnight or actually 1230. So the athletes who are, you know, straggling in, and so there wasn't a lot of activity and I just sat and just started talking and we were just, it was nice. It was pleasant. So I, I was like, huh. And then fast forward, uh, I met her in the grocery store hmm. and like legit was walking down uh, aisle three. I'll never forget walking down aisle three and she comes around the corner and I see him like, oh, and she almost did a double take. She's like, oh no, this guy. And, yeah. uh, 
And they said, no, I'll talk to him. You know, he was nice. Maybe, you know, so we started talking and for the first time that there, there was like an energy there was, it was like, huh, this is really nice. And then we wind up going and checking out in the same line, not planned, but then she was like a person in front of me. So I'm like, Oh, she's right. There. We're like, there was somebody between us. So I just kind of turned and I was looking at candy bars and magazines and just trying to, you know, stay, stay in my space. And she found me like, Hey, and so we let the guy between us go and we were just chatting and it turned into, um, Hey, come over to a barbecue on Saturday. And I had already been invited. She didn't know. Um, and so I was like, yeah. And, and I got there and she, uh, showed up after, cause she was working weekends at a different job and she, um, came in and it was one of those deals where all of our married friends, it was one of those kind of parties. Mm -hmm. And we were the only two single people at the party. <laughs> and I was sitting in the backyard, um, on a big, big blanket on the grass by myself. And she comes up and goes, where do I sit? And her friend's like, oh, Tim has space. And she almost went back inside the house. She goes, this is stupid. I'll go. So she sat down and, and we just started talking. And the best part, there was no pressure on us. Nobody was yeah. trying to push us. Oh, it was just, good. hey, what's there? And next thing you know, the party's over. Everybody's left. We're still talking. Um, our friends who own the house come out and go, Hey, I'm going to go buy some ice cream for dessert. Do you want some? And she, Diana's like, yeah, I'll go. And so she takes off. And then I go to my buddy, go, okay, all right, who is this gal? <laughs> and my friend Brian's just like, dude, that's the girl. That's the one we've all been telling you, you should meet. I'm like, all right, I've been an idiot. And yeah, it just kind of took off from there. Yeah. Sometimes we need that total guidance from friends and from above, right? To, to find the right one. Yeah. How serendipitous. I mean, you have crossed how many times before eventually kind of got there. And you guys built a beautiful life together. Tell us a little bit about that. So we got married in 99. Um, I got pregnant on our honeymoon. So we went from a family of one <laughs> to a family of three in nine months. Um, wow. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Um, so my son was born in 2000 and at the time I was a school teacher and she was a school teacher and, and it was like, it was in, in Hawaii and there's no money in that. So mm -hmm. we were looking at, do we, do we stay here and each of us have two jobs and maybe hang out on Sundays? Um, or, or what? And, um, a lot of prayer. Um, and a lot of just soul searching and just realize, okay, let's move to California. I didn't want to move to California, but that's where her family was. And my mom had sold her house in Hawaii and moved to the same Bay area. So we moved to the Northern California area. Um, I looked at some teaching stuff. I was even offered a vice principal position at a private school, but the economics just weren't there. And I was just like, nah, I just, so I landed in sales. Hmm. And no intention ever of doing that, but was working um, as a sales coordinator. And then I was doing regional marketing strategy and helping with business development. I was doing all this stuff, supporting everything from, you know, major key accounts to just local opportunity stuff and running reports and all with this intention of, I want to get into training. So I did really well there and they were going to make me a sales rep out of Reno, but then the guy who was in Reno, who was supposed to take a promotion of management, didn't take it. He just wanted to stay in Reno. So I, I was like, I, I need to make more money. Cause at that mm -hmm. point, then my wife was pregnant with our second, mm -hmm. our daughter. And, um, 
I, my boss was super gracious and my sales manager, he was like, look, you're a great guy. I knew when I hired you, I was not going to keep you. So, um, I can't give you anything now. So let me help you find something in the company. And I wound up starting over as a trainer in Houston. We moved to Houston. My daughter was born there. And then, um, I quickly went through the ranks. I mean, I super fast, um, and eventually I was in a global role uh, and working for Shell Oil and, and downstream B2B. And I was supporting North America and um, living on planes and in hotels and home on the weekends. And Diana was just like, this is brutal, you know, and, and our marriage was, was getting hammered. And so we were actually on a vacation back home in Hawaii, sitting on a friend's, um, we would say Lanai, you would say their, their porch. <laughs> and, um, we, we were watching the sun and, and I just said, if you're, you know, do you think your life is going to look like this when you're growing up? She goes, no way, not at all. And I go, okay, so if we were going to live our values, what mm-hmm. would that look like? And we basically took every obligation we had in our life and just erased them all and said, let's just start over. And that led to her leaving um, teaching. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. We had two littles and she mm-hmm. wanted to be as much a part of their life while they were little. Um, and then I left corporate and started my own consulting company. And um, first customer, not common, first customer I landed was Walmart um, and went not from there. Common. And I did that. No, no. Uh, apparently, apparently I was decent um, and did my own com- company for 12 years. And then I got recruited to go back to corporate in 2019. Um, there was a uh, an opportunity to do a transformation for a sales enablement function for a company called Workday. Um, and I, I went there for the last three years, but now I'm, um, and we'll get more into why, but I, I, I've left and I'm now moving back to Hawaii. I'm actually sitting here in California right now because I'm selling this house, but I already have a condo back there and life back there. And I'm, I'm my, as they say, my, my time wandering the desert is over. I'm leaving California and going home to Kona. Uh, that'll be great. Now, Along that path, Diana wound up getting sick, I think around 2014, Tim. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 2014, she got diagnosed with leukemia, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Goodness. It's sick when you know anybody who's got to go through cancer. You can say the strangest, most bizarre words, just like saying vanilla ice cream. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So acute means it hits hard. And so she almost died like right when she was diagnosed. Um, and, um, they were able to get some, some new blood in her body as it was collapsing. I held her hand and I thought she was gone then. And then that started a a six year journey. Um, we, she went into remission and kept it in remission. And we actually did a bunch of chemo and a bunch of stuff. It was brutal. And then, uh, she hit the five year mark. And we were told, hey, in five years, you're more or less, you know, you're, you're good to go. All oh, right, fantastic. Um, but then um, a few months later, the leukemia came back very aggressively. Yeah. So that was, that was the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. So it, 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 she started feeling weird around Christmas. And then um, I, I was in London on a business trip. And she goes, I have to, I have to talk to you. I'm like, okay. And, uh, she goes, Hey, the, the cancer's back. And I was just crushed. Those words. Yeah. And 
she's like, I, what, I, she goes, don't just finish your trip, get back here. I have to get a room and thank God she was at Stanford hospital. Great, great hospital, mm-hmm. um, world-class. Um, and she goes, I can't even get a room yet. And you got to remember this is 2020. So COVID was going sideways by February. Yeah. It was, it was a totally different world. California's yeah. locked down. Yep. Oh, and California, it was Bay area too, was getting yeah. hit like, like crazy. Nobody yeah. knew what was going on. Nobody knew what was, what was real. What wasn't real. Everybody was trying to be like, let's be as safe as possible. So we, I jumped on my plane as, as scheduled. And I literally landed at the airport, went straight to the hospital. And I arrived at the same time she did to check into her room. Mm-hmm. So she was, had just gotten in the room when I walked into her room. And so we, we synced up at, at, at Stanford hospital. And then, you know, that was, that was a uh, Valentine's day. Oh. So that was how we spent Valentine's day, 2020. Oh, and unfortunately, um, long story short, she did bone marrow transplant transplant. It turned into bone, uh, graft versus host disease. And she died from that rejection. Um, on July 4th of 2020. So, you know, I got holidays that are burned into my head um, that are not what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Valentine's Day enough is a hard one to handle. Even this past year, Mm -hmm. I was in tears right in the middle of a cycle bar, right? Right in the middle of a season. And you, and you're, you, you aren't ready for it. You're ready for it here, not here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with Diana's passing, you have this professional career. Did you, you know, how did you keep that going? You've got two kids, you were dealing with their grief. Um, at the time, were they home? Were they in college? Uh, yes. Well, Kaylin graduated high school right before Diana passed. Okay. So um, she went into college, but she she basically ruined that first semester. She yeah. just, there was just nothing there. So we just said, fine, take a break, yeah. just wash it off. Let's try this again. My son was going to school, um, but my son's also Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Now he just got his black belt. He's an instructor. So he was, he, he was going to school, but it was more going to school to learn business because his path, he's going to run his own academy. So he's a, he's a, actually a Jiu-Jitsu instructor. So for him, the hardest part with all this was, COVID shut down the academy, COVID shut down all. So he went from being able to go to the mat, literally, and work out whatever was happening inside of him to sitting in his house, our house, and just going sideways. So um, I had to figure out how to help him open up himself physically. And at that point, we, he basically just started training neighbor kids because part of it was some, some of our own neighbor kids, their parents were going nuts with their kids stuck at home, no, no running around, no sports, no nothing. And um, some of his jiu-jitsu buddies like, dude, my kids, I'm going to kill them. My wife <laughs> is going to kill them. Can you please take a private lesson? Just to, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was a little bit further in. Um, but we, we converted our garage into a little miniature, you know, academy and he was doing one-to-one, one-to-twos. Um, and that fixed kind of his personal space. And then eventually I sent him home to Hawaii. Yeah. And cause Hawaii didn't have the shutdown that California did. And I got him a cousin, a, a job with my cousin and he was um, living in my condo there and, um, going to training at jujitsu yeah, at a regular place. And that, that really helped him. So that physical movement and mm-hmm. it's amazing. We know we talk about 
and we'll probably talk more on our own. Um, I, I shut down physically, but when I opened back up, all of a sudden things started to unlock. And so there yeah. is something powerful that happens when you tap into that mind-body connection. Yeah. There is um, a disconnect, Tim, that happens when mm -hmm. we're grieving between our mental state and our body. And it has to do with being in the present, right? We, our mind is telling us not to be in the present. But when you connect with your body and you start doing things, it kind of resets that clock. And now all of a sudden, you know, we are in the present and we learn to yeah. process the grief at that point, because what's happening is we're living in our mind. We're almost disconnected from our body and reality. And so that physical activity, and for me, it was vital in my recovery. Mm -hmm. Running was vital for me. Going to the gym, exercising was vital. Um, talk about that a little bit. I mean, do you think that's what happened with your son? Yeah. I, well, so it's a combination of, so it's, um, for me, it's walking. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I've gotten back in the gym and I, I, I used to be a gym rat. So, I mean, you know, I used to rip phone books and, you know, push some pretty, <laughs> pretty big weights, but, um, uh, that, I call that used to coulda. I used to, I coulda, now I'm in my fifties. So, um, but, but there's something about that. It's, it's a combination of the physical movement, but it's also that blood flow and you're releasing different chemicals and different hormones and your brain reacts differently. So the neuroscience of it is how do you get yourself out of that limbic um, uh, reptilian part of the brain, they call it, you know, the part of your brain where you're pure emotion and there's no real logic to it. And, you, mm -hmm. and to get out of that space, to get to your prefrontal cortex, where, where you actually have language and you have words to describe things. But when you're grieving, you're locked into an emotional state. Mm -hmm. So the only way to let your brain kind of relax is through physical movement. And yeah. I learned that whenever I get tense, whenever I feel, going for a walk doesn't just clear my head, it actually gets my brain unlocked. So then I can start doing different things, feeling different things and thinking different thoughts and feeling different feelings. Mm -hmm. I love that. Totally love it. Um, you've got some ink on your arm. I can't quite see it with your shirt that you have now. There it is. Talk about that a little bit. What is, I know there's a meaning behind it. Mm. So, um, you know, in Hawaii, tattoo is, I mean, the word tattoo is a Polynesian word. People don't, you know, never realize I didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe we say, you know, cacao or Dana Samoa, tatao, but tattoo is a, a Polynesian word. And in Hawaii, you, you get a tattoo when something significant happens. So it's not just a form of art. It's actually a, um, it's part of the process. And it was often traditionally, you know, people got tattoos as part of the grieving process because mm -hmm. it hurts. Um, you know, this, this took three, three different sittings yeah. to get it all done. And it goes all the way around my forearm up to my elbow. Wow. And, um, it, it hurt a lot, uh, in a really powerful way because that pain, I was grieving Diana at the time. And I, and I, I had my nephew do it and um, I was in Hawaii and I, there's, there's, I won't go into all the stuff. It's a side note. When you see a Polynesian or somebody with Polynesian tattoo, um, you're not supposed to ask what it means. You just okay. comment. And if they want to share, they'll share because mm -hmm. there's more, it's not just art. There's actually historical and powerful things involved. But yeah. um, I knew, I knew I, I wanted to do something and I co-created this with my nephew and it was wild how it worked out. So 
I said, let's do something in my forearm that really tells the story of, of my immediate family. And so I'm going to, I'm going to turn my camera a little bit, see if we can mm -hmm. get this to work. And describe so, it for those just listening on the podcast yeah. too, Tim. So this part that is at the very top closest to my inner arm elbow, those little tiny arrows are, are um, headrests. They represent, you know, the little wooden headrests that you would have had as a pillow back in the old days. Yeah. And then there's a weaving pattern. Of, it looks kind of like cords of rope mm -hmm. underneath it. And these are, Lauhala is a, 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 the pandanus plant, the leaves that you make rope with. And so you, you weave those, those cords, those leaves together, make a really strong cord. And then because I've got strong European heritage, as well as my Hawaiian heritage, um, I, I have Celtic blended into this. So this is a Celtic mm -hmm. hound. Um, I don't know if you can see the head and the legs and the tail. Yeah. yeah. And so this represents my son. His name is Connor. And he's named after King Connor, um, who, and the name means lover of hounds. And so I have this Irish hound there. Uh, and then there's little uh, rectangles that go around the outside. Mm -hmm. Those, that's a Polynesian pattern that represents the octopus, um, which my nephew did that just say, hey, I said, something's missing, add it. And he huh. put that in. Well, that is my son loves the octopus because of the jujitsu, the grappling. Ah. And so the octopus and the way you, the way you grapple, and it also speaks to tenacity and strength. Mm -hmm. And then I have a harp, a Celtic harp, which represents my daughter because she's a hundred percent creative. Um, and there mm -hmm. are different knots within embedded in the harp. And then there's this pattern of birds that goes from the harp all the way out back to my elbow. And, um, if you notice, there's there's hard, thick lines that go all over this thing that hold, and that, that's called framing. Oh, the frames represent the frames represent like the beams of your house or the ribs of your boat. They they their strength. So I have a lot of frames on this, but the birds leave the frame. The birds are not in the frame. So what it means is these headrests represent good thoughts and good dreams, mm -hmm. and this cord represents a marriage. And out of my dreams came this marriage, this beautiful woman who produced, um, excuse me, two beautiful children <laughs> until she left us. And the yeah. birds represent the dream that she left us. And she left the frame. She's gone. And so it was a combination of both how do I tell my story, but also how do I give meaning to the story I've experienced? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing that. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful and stunning and also the history of what it represents. Um, I, I think that there is something there in terms of experiencing the pain mm -hmm. that is also important to the healing process. And it's a rite of passage almost in a way that we as men kind of have lost from the childhood rites of passages through just the experiences in our life and the, and those rites of passages. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, American culture, Western culture in general, but especially American culture struggles with grief. You know, mm -hmm. I have talked with a number of friends and we're just grief illiterate. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was I, when I was going through this, I was at work day and I was at corporate and 
they were very gracious to let me have time when Diana passed. But then it was like, okay, it's time to get back to work. It's time to get stuff done. And grief doesn't work like that. Yeah. There is no on and off switch. Um, so you, you, you can't just, um, experience grief for a season and walk away. You'll grieve for forever. The question is, is how much, how much of your capacity is it going to consume? So the, you, you've seen the, the picture where they, they draw, you know, people think grief looks like this in your whole life, you know, fills of grief. And then they draw it. Like it, it's not that grief gets smaller. Grief stays the same, but the goal is to enlarge your life, make your yeah. life bigger. Yeah. So that the real estate isn't, isn't dominating the With entire the landscape sure. from that one thing that you went through. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the hardest part is trying to explain grief to people. Um, and yet at the same time, one out of nine people in the U S are affected by losing someone to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just COVID. That's not including yeah. anyone else who died for any other reason or anything else. And then, you know, we've talked about, you know, the, the, the you and I have talked offline, this whole underlying drive behind grief is really, it's a form of trauma and, mm -hmm. um, it, and, and, and trauma is driven by helplessness. So anytime anybody feels helpless, losing a job, losing a spouse, a child, um, uh, just anything where they felt helpless and there could be life experiences that happened to them when they were children, et cetera, mm -hmm. that trauma needs to be grieved. And if we don't really understand how to do that, we're going to relive our, our grief. It will never stop, so to speak. We'll never grow past it because we're still reliving that trauma. So every, every, 4th of July, every Valentine's day, every birthday, every, um, park you drive by, oh, that's where we had a walk or every, you know, all of that stuff becomes a major trigger. And I've learned how to navigate that stuff, but I, no one was ready to tell me, here's how it works. That's yeah. why I love what you're doing with this, because especially as men, we don't, we don't necessarily have a lot of buddies who've gone through what we're going through mm -hmm. and, and it is different. Widowing is different than say divorce and divorce is still traumatic and tough. And there's grief that's part of that. So I've got divorced buddies, but I have very few widower buddies, mm -hmm. but the ones I do have, oh my gosh, um, we can talk so deeply, but I'm still teaching them stuff as I'm learning that they never heard. And some, one buddy of mine's been, was a widower for, you know, almost 40 years. Um, and he remarried, but he's, he's learning stuff that I'm sharing with him that he would have loved to have 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in that sharing, those shared experiences can be really healing. Um, and we don't have that form a lot of times, uh, a lot of times we're suppressing it, right? We put on that corporate mask that you and I both had to go and mm. put on right away. Mm. Like, Hey, everything's all right. I got this handled. I'm stoked. I can get through this. Meanwhile, you're, you're broken underneath that mask, you know? Oh um, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, think about like the things that I try to explain to people, like number one, I go, first and foremost, you got to know your, your give a damn is broken. Yeah. You just, you just don't care. Yeah. You, like in my situation, I literally held Diana's hand as she died. Yeah. So I, I was the one who called the time of death when the physician came in and they, it's okay. He, you were here. What was the time? And I'm like, that's <laughs> bizarre. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so when people are sitting there complaining about a missed deadline or they're trying to execute something in the business strategy, that's, that's why are we doing that? Yeah. You don't care. 
and you're trying to put your veneer on and you're just like, what the hell? And then on top of that, you have your own family stuff. And in my situation with my kids, they each had their own journey. I have no idea how to help them go through their journey. Yeah. Um, and my daughter's a lot like me. So she, I, she got super angry um, and her warrior spirit just went right to the surface. And so she was ready to fight anything because mm -hmm. she didn't know who to fight. Yeah. She's just hurt. Um, my son took his warrior spirit to the mat because the academy opened back up and he let that go. So for him, and I'm super grateful for especially his professor, but the other other folks at the academy, they just came alongside of him and they didn't have to necessarily explain everything, but his body was able to process what his soul was going through. And and that goes back to what we were saying. You know, if you're if you're doing this and you're sitting at home by by yourself, or you know, I started watching. I did the whole watch stuff I'd never watched before with Diana. Sort of, we started. I started watching a Breaking Bad. Oh my gosh, it's really creative. It's really good, yeah. but it was so dark. And by halfway through season two, I'm going, Why am I watching this? This is making me more dark, more yeah. depressed. And that was when I was like, Okay, I got to get up and get out of my house. Yeah. Um, and I got to watch different things and feed myself different things. Ment mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of that, because that journey um, is the only way I was able to keep paddling and keep moving forward. Yeah. And Tim, this was all during COVID, which I didn't have to go through, right? So I could still get out there. I could still do my business trips. I could still go to the gym. I could still, but California was locked down tight. Oh, and just when you need time. that physical contact, depending on your love language or the the human contact, just that we all need as as human beings, you didn't have any of that, or you had it with a yeah. very small group of people. Talk about that and what you went through there. Um, well, that was when I started just to walk, because you you were allowed to be outside. You couldn't allow to go really to the grocery store. It was very limited. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of businesses for sure couldn't go to restaurants and all that. Everything was pick up, take order, whatnot. Um, and that's when I started walking and getting outside and taking my dogs um, for a walk and whatnot. God forbid you ran into me because I was I was like not not a pleasant person. I wasn't like, hi, how are you? As I walked by, I was just like stone cold stares and just leave me alone. And I was in my head a lot. Um, I needed that space to and I and I, I think you and I have talked about this. There's no right way to grieve. Yeah. You just grieve. Yeah. You just let it go. And walking allowed my thoughts to wander because as the, as I got my heart rate up, my thoughts started to then unblock and my mm -hmm. heart started to open back up. Yeah. Your amygdala, and that first brain flooded. was quelled. Yeah. And now you could get yeah. into your frontal lobes. Yep. That's right. And you can begin to start making meaning of things. Mm -hmm. And that's the key, right? So how do I make meaning out of this? It's not that there was some wonderful thing that happened. I, I, I told the kids, I said, this isn't because God wanted mom to die. Don't buy into that theology. That's, that's, you know, I'll use the Greek word for shit, scubalon. That's in the Bible. <laughs> um, it, but it is, it's, it's, it's scubalon. It's excrement. It's worthless. It, the, God doesn't want any of them, anyone to die. Um, he doesn't want anyone to suffer. He doesn't want anyone to be sick. This is the result of living in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. So we live in a fallen world and this is the impact of living in a fallen world. And, and, and we actually had it pretty good. You know, I mean, I, 
I've talked to friends who have gone through the widow experience, no economic support, you know, especially women, yeah. no economic support. Their husband had everything. They don't, they don't know what to do. And their community doesn't know what to do with them now that they're a widow. Mm -hmm. They don't know, you know, guys, you're kind of like, Hey, you know, I'll still work and I can throw myself into work and I probably got a pretty decent paying job and I'll become a workaholic. And in my case, I'd be started becoming a borderline alcoholic. I just mm -hmm. threw myself into extra stuff that wasn't helping me, but it kept me in motion. Yeah. And it was the slowdown. It was the work. And it was the fact that COVID was like, dude, you, you don't have easy access to the distractions. And that actually, I turned it into not necessarily intentionally, but it became a blessing to have that time alone. Yeah. Yeah. And you work go to the bar and drink. I mean, yeah, you could have drank at home, but, and the work slowed yeah. it down so that you did have that extra time to walk. You weren't on a yeah. plane or trying to get to that That's meeting right. across town. Yeah. Talk That's a little right. bit about that fault that we, I know I fell into both of those. I was an alcohol, I was flat out medicating alcoholic. Um, I'll label yeah. it. Um, borderline, not borderline. I was drinking way too much tequila every week while my wife was in hospice in particular. And um, thank goodness the day after she passed, I was able to put the bottle down and haven't picked it up to him for five years, not a drop. Wow. And really, wow. really happy with that. And that really turned my life around. The busyness though, um, you know, I got busy. I got really, really busy. The business was faltering, so I needed to, but I didn't deal with mm. grief. I just buried it in my work completely. Um, talk mm. about that, because that's a common thing that I think many men go through is medicating as well as the busyness. So for me, it was working a lot. It was, you know, back-to-back -back Zooms all day, all this stuff. And then as soon as I turned off and the house was silent and there was, you know, my, my, my kids were around, but they, I mean, you know, they, they, mm, yeah, different conversation. You don't, you don't sit there and unpack with them. You can't, and you shouldn't go. There are yeah. certain limits to what, cause they have to do the, their stuff. Mm -hmm. But then if they were out, then as COVID calmed down, then they were gone. They were like, we're out of the house. We're finally yeah. allowed to go hang out and go do stuff. We're gone. And sitting in my house by myself with the silence, mm -hmm. it was just super easy just to go pour, pour a glass, mm -hmm. and make it a double pour or a triple pour, drain it, go do it again, mm -hmm. and then figure out how to go to sleep. Yeah. I realized, uh, cause I got I just so unhealthy and eat whatever I want, drink whatever I want. And I, so I, I just, this is not, this is not how I want it. I'm, I'm going to die young. I'm not going to live to a decent old age if I don't make some changes. So I knew yeah. there was a health thing involved, but also I found that the more I got into walking, the more I moved. Um, and then I started listening to podcasts and, and audio books that were about mm -hmm. grief. Um, and differently, I started like, okay, there's a journey I need to be on and I'm not on it. Mm -hmm. And so that was a year and a half, probably a year and a half in. Okay. So I got really serious about a year ago. I got really serious last November, December. And, and since then I've lost 60 pounds. Oh, um, I'm amazing. back in the gym and I'm definitely, you know, changing my BMI and all this other fun stuff. But, um, and I, I, I cut way back. I didn't eliminate alcohol because I, 
so I, I do like my, my red wine and my, my, my whiskey or my bourbon, especially mm -hmm. when I'm having a cigar. So God bless a good <laughs> cigar. Um, but I, I, I moved it to weekends only. Um, and on business trips, I'll drink non-alcoholic or I'll drink mm -hmm. you know, sparkling water. And it's just, yeah. it's just, it is what it is. And when I did that, that, that demonstration of discipline created capacity for healing. And it's not that the discipline healed, but it was the fact that I was trying. Yeah. And I think the fact that I was trying, my soul, my spirit, my body, everything was like, okay, we'll meet you halfway. Yeah. And it started opening up. That, that really changed things for me. There was a still doing of, I mean, it's. Yeah. There's a sense of control, I think, in doing some of those things that you kind of need to get back because you do feel so helpless and so out of control. Things are so yeah. much bigger than, than you, you realize. So I think there's a perspective there that you get, but also yeah. you feel helpless. And I think doing little things. So for me, one of the first things, make the bed, make the bed every uh -huh. day. Now, my wife, Judy used to do that. And I used to think it was stupid. I mean, I'll be honest. <laughs> there were many times I said, what do you bother making it? We're just going to mess it up again kind of thing. Every day, even Tim, when I'm in hotel rooms, I will organize it. I was just on a retreat recently. Really? Retreat. I make my bed. Really? Yeah. yeah. And that to me. Do you hear Judy's voice in your head? Do you hear Judy's voice in your head when you do that? Do you see her standing there when you're doing it? I don't. I don't. I did. I think I did in the beginning where it's like, you know, I kind of realized that, that she was um, kind of saying, you need to do this now. I'm not yeah. here. Yeah. You need to take this over. Um, so that was I had a similar. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. I had Talk similar. Mine was um, doing, the, doing the dishes. Yeah. Doing the dishes. I hate, I hate doing the dishes. It's not my favorite thing at all. And I've learned to love it. And it's become mm. my, my space to just, okay, I'll do the dishes. I'll clean it. And it, I, I don't know, but it's because I'm, I'm, I, that, that's one of those rituals that brings me to present. Yeah. So, that's one of the big things. Instead of trying to relive the past or obsess about the future, I want to maximize the moment right now. And yeah. washing dishes is very much around what's in your hand right now. Pay attention because you don't want it to slip out of your hand. You know, make sure it's clean. And, and and that has become as healing as going for a walk because my my brain is also just calming itself down. And then I've, you know, I, I try not to watch TV or do a whole lot with lights on at night, letting yeah. things kind of calm down. Um, and there's a wonderful podcast from Andrew Huberman called the Huberman lab. And they talk about all the, 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 what's happening in the brain. And I've tried to apply a lot of those things. Um, but, but fundamentally you do, you have this weird, you know, getting ready for the holidays. And this is the part where we're as a family trying to walk through, how do we remember mom? without deifying her. Yeah. Because Diana was a great cook. She's a great baker. Oh my gosh, she won contests. Mm -hmm. She taught, she ran a class at our local, there's a, a cooking uh, school near us and they brought her in to teach. She was phenomenal. Um, and so we're getting ready to think about Thanksgiving and food and Christmas food and all these different things that are a big part of our traditions. You don't want to lose a tradition, but we also don't want to make it, make it, oh, this was St. Diana's dish and we yeah. made it just the way St. Diana made it. Um, and you can't, you can't let that overwhelm your tradition. Otherwise, you're never going to move forward. Yeah. Tim, one of the things that we faulted on, me in particular, was 
almost not recognizing it. Like that, that loss is the elephant in the room, but then you try to yeah. go through the day as if that person's not there anymore. <laughs> and until honestly, yeah. until my trip to, to Hawaii of all places where I gave mm. the girls, it was mother's day. And I said, girls, we're going to do a special day today. Tribute mm. to mom. You guys are in control of it. Make the itinerary, do the plan. We're going to, we're going to remember her in every place that we're at as if she's on the trip with us. And right from the start, they saw some Cardinals and the Cardinals were literally in every spot we went, the Cardinals were there and Cardinals are a big representation of those who have passed. And it was, it was beautiful. And it was the wow. first holiday that I felt, um, I felt like there wasn't that real missing element. And this is almost five years in for us. So. Wow. Uh -uh. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what are we talking about? <laughs> You talk about the deity element, you know, the, the St. Diana. Oh yeah. I know this can be really hard and, and I've dealt with this in, in a couple of relationships. You're in a new relationship now, which is mm -hmm. amazing. So yeah. talk about that yeah. a little bit and talk about some of the challenges of remembering the past, but also making sure that you're planning for future, because I think that's a delicate balance. Yeah. So I've been dating this beautiful lady um, for the last three months. And, um, you know, we met through a dating app, which I wasn't going to do. I, I had a buddy. I was out having coffee with a buddy. And um, he's like, you know, bro, you, you got you to get on the saddle. I look at him like, what does that even mean? What do you, yeah. what do you mean get on the saddle? What, what is that? Like, it's, well, you got to put yourself out there. And, you're like, you know, and I'm like, seriously? And how do I even do that? And he goes, and he goes, it's going to sound crazy for dating app. And I go, oh my gosh, I do not need Tinder. Cause I had other buddies who were doing Tinder and they were trying to like, dude, dude, I don't, I don't need that. Now. Um, and, uh, and then I was talking with another good friend who actually worked for me at the time. And he's like, yeah, a third of all relationships now start online. It's just kind of how things are going. And I'm like, you're kidding. He goes, no, well, think about it. Would you rather walk into a club and meet somebody or let an algorithm say, hey, you probably should talk mm -hmm. and let the algorithm help you. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then he, then he, the, what got me was he goes, and that's how I met my wife. And he, they, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll give this thing a chance. And um, so um, in that situation, my girlfriend is, she's divorced. So she's been split from her ex about eight years. Mm -hmm. So her her, even her own kids, I'll be honest, the, the, the getting connected is she was a little nervous. Like, am I your first girlfriend since and I go? Yeah. And she's like, well, I don't know. This is, this <laughs> is a little over. So we can work, work through that. Um, but you know, her kids went through a divorce journey. So they yeah. watched mom and dad split. They watched the tension and the garbage and the mm -hmm. junk and all that. And they're, so, you know, they want mom to meet someone. Yeah. That's going to take care of her and that's going to, you know, make her happy. Um, my kids didn't have that. Now, my granddad Diana and I had our moments. It wasn't perfect. Goodness gracious. No marriage I don't think is. But mm -hmm. we had a great marriage. And if she was still alive, we'd still be married. Mm -hmm. So they never went through that. So their journey has been very like, whoa, I, this is, I this is wild. Mm -hmm. So um, at first it was especially my son. He's just like, I don't know, dad. I, I, mm, I don't even want to know about her. I don't even want to. Okay. All right. And no pressure. Cause you can't force it on anyone. Yeah. 
Um, but then he said to me something that was really powerful. Um, he goes, I don't know if it's because it's not mom. I don't know because it's too soon, even though it's been a, a couple of years. Um, I don't, I don't know what it is, but how I feel has no bearing on whether or not I want you to be happy. Uh -huh. And as long as you're doing the right thing, mm -hmm. then I support you. I'll support oh, you. It's awesome. If, if you're, so I'll work on me and my stuff separate from you walking your own path. Sure, that was on. incredible. Yeah. That was incredible. And the fact that he, he gave me that. And my daughter didn't use the same words, but she was like, she's like, okay, I'm ready to meet her. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll set up a Zoom. She goes, no, 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 I need to meet her. I need to see her. I'm like, yeah. oh. So we're working on that now. So that's, um, but but all of that to say, the the widow journey, and what's interesting is, unless you're a widow yourself as the female, it's, they're going to need to learn what you're going through mm -hmm. and to talk about. And we, we talk about stuff, but we also hold back on some things. There's some mm -hmm. things I just, she's not ready to talk through. Um, it's a little overwhelming for my girlfriend to, to hear some of these things. And if part of it, she just feels intimidated. She's like, oh my gosh, you know, she, when she's the one who said, you know, if, if Diana was still alive, you'd still be married. You and I would not be talking. Yeah. I go, that's true. That is true. Mm -hmm. And she's gone. She's been yeah. gone for years. Um, I'm not going to stop my life just because. Yeah. So, so that that's the part that I think if you're a widower and you're like, do I get back in the game? Do I get back in the game? You know, hey, that's going to be you. That's going to be your journey. That's going to be up to you. Do give it time. And then I also ask my kids to say, hey, this is, and it's clicking. It is. Uh, I, I'm not going to say her name, just I just wanted privacy, but um, we're getting along really well. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is, this feels amazing. It feels awesome. I feel like I've met somebody really special. Yeah. Um, and I believe I have in my head. Mm -hmm. And I asked my kids, like, how fast is too fast? My son again is like, um, you're experienced, you're mature, you know what good looks like. I don't think you need what I need at 22, mm -hmm. but anything less than a year, I won't respect. So take your time. Mm -hmm getting to know each other, even if it's as much about you already know, and it's working, uh, give me the year, basically. Yeah, yeah. I need a year to adjust to this. And that's, if you've got kids, you have to bring them along on this. Mm -hmm. um, at least give them a chance because um, not every kid will, will be behind their parents moving forward. They are stuck. And so yeah. therefore they want to keep you as the widower stuck because mm -hmm. they can't get Ask their trauma. Yeah, they have processed. Yeah, that's their life, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, those are those yeah. are some top. They respect it and give a nod to it, but like you said, and as Connor gave you graciously the right, you know, Dad, I don't want to hold you back. Yeah, it shouldn't hold you back either from finding a new life and finding purpose and meaning in a new relationship. Uh, speaking yeah. of purpose and meaning, I really want to get and spend a little bit of time on the faith part. Okay. Um, because I know you are a man of faith, mm. uh, a biblical scholar. Well, I wouldn't use that word, but yes. Okay. I, but you are deconstructing your faith with translation. I, do, I do read my Bible in Greek. That's probably more than most people. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So talk about your faith and the importance of that through this whole process. So um, I, I've, for my whole life, I've had faith and, and that part of that spirituality and part of it's you know, my culture, because, you know, when you look at the universe, you know, there's a creator. So you got to know who that creator is. Um, 
this didn't just happen because of random math. The, the math is too complex for it to be random. So, but I, I, at the same time, I'm a total nonconformist. And, and when my, my give a damn meter broke, I, I was like, I, I need something authentic and real and true and pure. And, um, I had a friend who, who lost her husband, um, and her faith got rocked. And, and we got into this whole thing of this discussion as we were talking about, how do you know what's true? Yeah. What's tr- how do you know what's true? Anymore? And when you have church experiences with people who are, let's just say, let's just say they are well-meaning, but they mm-hmm. have no idea what they're doing. And then you also have toxic people in church doing stuff and saying things like, you just need to get out of my life. Yeah. Um, you're like, okay, so what's true? What's not true? And I, I became consumed with figuring out that question because a lot of people I'd ask, well, how do you know what's true? And they go, well, the Bible says it. I'm going, I know the Bible too well that there's stuff in there that's mistranslated or it's mm-hmm. not a good answer or what you think it says is not actually what the Greek says and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. So I landed on how do I know what's true? Well, true is based off of truth. So therefore, what is truth? And the only answer I could come up with is I know Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So there's something in the, in the person and character of Christ that resonates so deeply. It, it's not, it doesn't go against logic. It simply goes beyond it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it transcends rational thought because that's why we call it faith. If it was, if, if there was no mystery and there was no unknown, you wouldn't need faith. It would just be science. Yeah. Um, but when I did, when I locked on Jesus being truth, then I went back and I'm rereading my Bible in the original language and studying it in the original language and finding very different interpretations. And what I'm finding is what Jesus taught is not what I was taught that he said. What he said was metanoia, change the way you think. Because the basileo horanos, the the um, the authority that comes from the the authority of heaven, is now available to you, and and he came at it from a a hundred percent position of love, yeah. and even the word that he used for evil, poneros, poneros is not evil in the way we think; it's more oppression and sickness. Yeah. So. When he was going around on all the stories of him healing people, that was miracle as metaphor. That was what I'm saying and what I'm doing is the exact same thing. I'm touching people and whatever's afflicted them is going away. <laughs> that is the faith journey. The faith journey is to have our affliction, our brokenness, our um, disease that hits us from all different angles of life. We can be healed of that so that we can be the best versions of ourselves and more importantly, we can then extend that same love to others and, and radiate the fear. That that's right. And the fear that was injected into what I've been taught is just like, it's just not there. I mean, yeah. the Bible says God has given us a spirit of fear, but you know, it's like, wait a minute, but that's not what I was taught. You better do this or else, or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe and it, you get really goofy. Well, this happened because something happened. I'm like, no, get away from that. Just get that. Life happens the way it happens because we live in a broken world. And we can get into that theology later. But because we live in a broken world, we need love more than anything else. <laughs> and if we lose the love of our lives, where does our love come from? And that's when you realize your faith becomes more important 
than the person. Mm -hmm. Because whether that person is there or not there, you are still connected to pure love and then able to extend pure love to others. Now, it doesn't mean I'm very good at extending love. Trust me, I got I got moments where I'm like, I embarrass myself. Um, but I'm a better human. I'm a deeper human. I'm a more profound human. I'm also a simpler human because I'm letting go of all this other stuff that's being globbed on top mm -hmm. because the only thing that's really pure is love. Yeah. Peace and love that transcends all understanding. I really yeah. hope that that translation at least is a good one because it is. that is well, what I mean, I've done. And yeah. you get, and you add, let's add, let's add hope in there too, right? Yeah. So you lose your hope when you go through the grieving process. How am I ever going to, you catastrophize. This is going to be mm -hmm. the worst thing ever. Or you, you overgeneralize. It affects everything now in life is going to be broken or you mm -hmm. permanent, you, you, you make it permanent. It'll never mm -hmm. be better. Mm -hmm. And you get past those things and you start realizing, wait a minute, I have hope. And the reason I have hope is because I have love. The yeah. reason I have peace is because I have love and I want hope. I want peace. But without love, when that's ripped away from you, your peace and hope get ripped away with it. Yeah. And that that comes from within that light that's within that is ultimately from above. Right. And yeah. that I completely agree with you. The teachings come across as very authoritarian, very rule based. And yeah. Jesus did say many, many times, you know, you you rabbis, it's not it's not your you know, it's not the rules. Right. And then, but then we wind up ignoring that and we impart rules on it. Um, yeah. so I, I really want to learn more about that, Tim, as you go through that journey, as you go through those translations and I, I will have you on again so we can dive deeper into that, but we are totally out of time. What is the one thing that you'd like to leave our widowers, our growth warriors with today, Tim, from your experience and your journey? Um, it's, it's an easy answer for me. I, I went to a workshop, um, attended a virtual conference for grief workers, um, not people grieving, but it would turn out to be powerful for me that was run by David Kessler. Um, yeah. David Kessler, um, well-known person out there, you can look it up, his name, K-E-S-S-L-E-R. Um, but, you know, he, he said a few things and, and all around this idea of how do you get meaning in your grief? So loss is what happens in life, but meaning is what you do after that loss occurs. So the meaning is not in the death. The meaning is somehow in us and what we do. So we're trying to lessen the pain of that grief with the meaning. And when we can find out the meaning of what happened, we then are able to give ourselves a foundation, not to move on because you don't, but you move forward. <laughs> and um, a great example is, is the, I can't remember her name, but the, the, the woman who lost her daughter to drunk driving and started mad yeah. for mothers against drunk driving. And so she turned the loss of her daughter into something that, that was powerful and transformative and, and literally I, I believe has saved millions of lives. When you think about mm -hmm. how many people are not impacted by drunk driving because of what she did in her own personal crusade, yeah. just the key to remember is the, 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 the value of that meaning is never worth the cost we paid to learn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's still, it's still hurt. It's still, yeah. Yeah. but there's meaning, there's meaning there. If you allow yourself to go after it. Yeah, totally agree. I've got a friend, uh, Mike song. I don't know if you know, Mike, but he's a, a inspirational speaker on time and time management. And he lost his son to a tragic gun accident when I, 
believe that the boy was only 13 or 14 years old and he's become a, a big gun rights advocate, gun, gun, you know, protection, lockup, those kind of things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there, there again, uh, what a tragic loss. I mean, you think of the loss of a wife at one level, but the loss of a child to me is, you know, <laughs> the degrees. And he's, he and his wife have found great meaning in it. They've made great strides. They were involved in the latest legislation on, um, on reasonable gun control that most of Americans support. And um, it's just, wow. just wonderful how he's found purpose in it. And I think there's, you know, those are big things. Um, I, I, you know, it doesn't have to be that big, though. Um, there is no, purpose to be found. Yeah. And so don't think that it has to be this amazing transformative national effort that, 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 uh, is your purpose, but in silence, in the walks, in the, in that kind of private time that you spend reconciling it, asking the question upward and within, I think that answer is provided as to what the purpose is. And I know that's how I found mine, a walk in the woods. Mm -hmm. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for the time you spent with us today and all of your wisdom and sharing it with us. Thank you. And uh, if you're listening, please subscribe. If you liked what you heard today, hit that like button. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.